We have had such a great month here at Calvary Gospel Church. We've had around or maybe a little more than 30 people this month filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We really thank the Lord for that. Some were filled with the Holy Ghost in the homes, and then some in the classrooms, and some here in the auditorium. Then this past week, with Andrew Cohn, prayed with his mother, and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She lives in the Milwaukee area, so he's already got her lined up for church attendance, Brother Aaron's church. Brother Aaron's going to be talking to her and working with her. This is something Brother Andrew is all excited about. Brother Andrew's sister goes to church at Plymouth. And uh, she's just such a precious lady. I don't know if that's why Brother Andrew's in the church. I assume she's been in the church for a while. And she witnessed to you. Now you witnessed to Mom. And that's how it goes, isn't it? <clears throat> now I had a reason for, for including this in my remarks today. Because I want to preach from Acts, the second chapter, verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you may be seated. And I want to speak on the subject, facts and promises. Now, there there is a difference in the two, as we would normally look at it. Uh, As you know, a fact is something that is known to be true. It is something that has occurred or has been known to have occurred. Basically, history is the recording of facts or events. Now, it is a fact that the pilgrims sailed to America in 1620. That is a fact. Documentation has been kept, and we know that to be true. A fact is what is true, what has happened, or basically a fact is reality. Something that uh, we can all associate with. Something we can trust, something we can rely on. We can't change it. Facts are extremely stubborn because if you could change a fact, then it would not be a fact. Facts are immutable. Stubborn. They don't budge. They don't give. Sometimes they hurt. There are things that are recorded in history that just simply hurts. I think when people tamper with it and try to change it to pacify, uh, you, you don't really alter history. You just alter the way you feel about it. And there is always a danger in altering <clears throat> something to make yourself feel good about it. <clears throat> But uh, we learn from history. Uh, The word fact comes from the Latin word factum, which means a thing done. In other words, something that has occurred. Something has been accomplished. Something that 
is done. Now, promise, on the other hand, now, I'm giving you a classical definition of promise. There are other definitions, but I'm giving you this definition because this is the way we commonly think of a promise. A promise is an indication of what may be expected. Now, notice I said what may be expected. It's an indication of future excellence. Something that gives you hope. That's what a promise is. Or, it is a message that gives you grounds for expectations. That's what a promise is. Now, when we look at Scripture, Scripture is basically made up of two components. First, it's made up of happenings or history. And secondly, it's made up of promises or, in many cases, prophecy concerning what we can expect, what we can hope for, or what we can look for. Those are the two basic components of Scripture. Now, we know that the Scripture contains actual happenings. Moses wrote the first four books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books. I said four. Sorry. Can you believe this? I'm telling you. Now, this, this usher deserves a hand. You don't know what's in this, but I do, and he deserves a hand. Thank you, Brother Martin. Oh, thank you. I almost did, didn't I? I think that's why I got it. This is orange juice. Full of vitamin C. Preach. It is a fact that I have vitamin C orange juice. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, you have to understand that when Moses wrote, Moses lived approximately 1200 B.C. Abraham had been dead 400 years. Now, we do know that some scripture had already been written. Probably probably the book of Job is the first book of the Bible, the actual writings of the Bible. Job, most people date his life somewhere in the 1800 B.C. The reason why is because of his age that he lived. There was a decline in age from the Garden of Eden all the way down to to Calvary. And Job lived in that area. Not only that, but the lifestyle and the fact that he was the patriarch of his household. See, Job was the priest of his household. He offered up a sacrifice daily for the sins that his sons might have committed. You know, he was a very careful man. The Bible calls him perfect, and you can't get much better than that. That means that he kept his sins covered with the blood 
That's called atonement in the Old Testament. He was so careful that he covered the sins they might have committed. Now, you're talking about a man that really wants to please God. Now, I said all that to say this. When Moses wrote, Moses had to write under the inspiration of God because he recorded facts that had occurred all the way back to the Garden of Eden somewhere around 4,000 B.C. I just picked up a little brochure this morning. I was, It had to do with saddles. Somebody, you know... I've got a few horses, and I don't know how people find out, but they do. You know, you go buy a new car, you go buy something, you all of a sudden you get all this literature through mail. So someone sent me uh, a brochure about saddles. And uh, the first thing I read, ended, I just picked it up and said, 10,000 years B.C., the Egyptians were. Well, there was no 10,000 B.C. as far as the human race is concerned. Now, we may have some evolutionists here that might disagree with that. You may say, oh, there was a 10,000 B.C. Oh, yeah, there was. You know. And In fact, time, as we know it, is endless on both ends of the spectrum. But we're talking about something different when we talk about the human race. The Bible records that Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden somewhere around 4,000 B.C. Now, I know that uh, that uh, there is somewhat, uh, there are evidences that point to a lot of evolutionary ideas and, and, and theories what we call a theory, something that is believed to be true, or to have been true, but it has not been proven. And uh, scientists have been trying since the turn of the century to prove the theory of evolution. And there's always this missing link. There, in other words, we get a little evidence, and uh, one one typical example of that is the uh, <clears throat> the prehistoric. Men, you know, uh, we are told by scientists that we that we came from apes. I think there are four classes of apes: the gorilla, the chimpanzee, uh, the orangutan, and the baboon. Now, every now and then, I look in the mirror. <clears throat> And, and I want to believe that that's not true. You know. No, but but we're we're told we're told that, but there there is no shreds of evidences that uh, you may say. Oh, but what about? Uh, well, an example of that. Uh, what was it? Ten years ago, scientists then said the the Peking man. There was uh, a theory that came out of China because they found. The, the skeleton of this prehistoric man in China. And, of course, the Peking man, uh, they had built this uh, plaster Paris, plastic fiberglass uh, skeleton. But 
if you read the evidence that they had, all they had was one little portion of the jawbone. Would you believe about ten years ago that uh, <clears throat> they found another jawbone, a little piece like this, in China, but it was attached not to the skeleton of a man, but a full skeleton of a pig with just this little little part. And, and it, it seems strange that they would try to sway people to believe that basically there is no God, that we all sprung from some lower form. And uh, they would try to do this on such a small piece of evidence, just a little piece of the jawbone. Now, I'm sure that if somehow we could x-ray all the jawbones here, we would have jawbones of many different sizes and shapes. And you never believe by looking out across a congregation like this that all these jawbones or these little segments actually came from human beings. Because I'm sure that if you, if you x-rayed the jawbones of all the species of animal life, you might find some similarity between yours and maybe some animal someplace. But you see, all that was based upon a theory. The theory since has been destroyed concerning the Peking man. And the reason why is because the fact was <clears throat> that the jawbone actually came from a pig. So the Peking man became the pig man. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it, it, it is amazing. <clears throat> but see, we're taught by scientists that we just started out as, as a, a big glob of goo, you know. And after a while, we have you. So it's from goo to you by way of the zoo. <clears throat> But Moses, under the inspiration of God, was able to take and write of things that had happened and record history. You may say, well, how could he actually do this? Because God keeps all the history books. His omniscient, he knows all. The amazing thing is that, that nobody has been able to prove that what Moses has written in the first five books of the Bible are inaccurate. In fact, over and over and over and over and over and over, uh, evidence or evidences are found which proves uh, the fact concerning this. I was just reading, uh, I, I don't remember what article I was reading, but uh, I... I I told you about this. It probably happened a couple of months ago. Some of the, the satellites <clears throat> had to do with the O.J. Simpson situation. They, they were saying they made a, the government, uh, the, the DA, the prosecutors uh, in L.A. have requested from uh, the bank of evidence that they keep in Georgia concerning satellites. There have been several murders uh, cases where people have been murdered that have been solved by looking at satellite photos. Right now, we're told that every inch, every square foot 
of the planet Earth is surveyed by satellite. And what they're saying is that if they can find the evidence, but you have to understand because that they're covering this 25,000-mile radius, and they're covering every square foot of it, that there's a whole lot of looking that has to go on in order to find this out. But they, they are saying that if O.J. Simpson's white Bronco was parked in front of Nicole Brown Simpson's house, that it'll show up on satellite. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Say that. But that's, that's what they're saying. But not only, and, and they said that they have identified, they have actually identified some individuals in the act of a crime. In Chicago, they have, they have actually convicted some people on the evidence found from satellite photos. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Simply means that they, they could pretty much track you if they wanted to. Well, now, I said all that to say this. Also in this article, they said that it is possible for them to see things underwater. And sometimes even under the soil. In other words, they can, uh, the infrared uh, rays or whatever that goes out leaves impressions. And they said an amazing thing is that there's a certain place in the Red Sea in which they found these, these round objects that look like wagon wheels or chariot wheels. And it was here that Moses crossed the Red Sea. And also it was here that the armies of Pharaoh tried to cross and they could not make it because they were drowned. And the Bible says the horse and the rider was cast into the sea. Of course, they're also saying that in a part of uh, the country, Turkey, where Mount Ararat is, that they can also see a large object approximately the size that the Bible describes uh, of Noah's Ark. Of course, that's, you know, that's pretty much a fact. There have been expeditions up there. Noah's Ark is on the top of Mount Ararat. But you've got to understand now that, that Moses wrote about the Ark a couple of thousand years after it actually happened. Boy, it's time for me to get some orange juice. Uh, so the Bible is full of, of happenings, history. Some history was recorded at the time in which it actually happened. Some was recorded by memory. Others, uh, their records of, of history as God inspired. It only uh, it seems to me like that the recording of history as God inspired would be the most accurate. Now, when I all the Bible is inspired of God, but the Jews, as you well know, they kept history separate and apart from the Bible. There are some books in which they kept it. Now, much of the prophecy of the Old Testament is written in past tense. When we talk about facts, we talk about things that have happened. 
this, this is an amazing thing to me, how that a lot of Old Testament history is recorded as if it actually had already taken place. Um, Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Now this is speaking of something that's future. You can see how that's making reference to that. He shall grow up. All right. And then after he talks about the coming Messiah, all of a sudden, he changes the tense of this. In verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Isn't that something? Past tense. And, and you notice how he jumps back and forth from the present to the future to the past. And, and, and you will find that that prophecy does this for the most part. So it is hard to determine by looking at the tense in which it's written if it's something that has already occurred, something that is in the process of occurring, or something that will occur. This, this is very, very difficult to determine. <clears throat> now, I, I think that it's important then that, that we understand this about the writing of Scripture. Because sometimes you can read Old Testament Scripture as if, you know, when did this happen? Because it's all past tense. You find out as you look through the Bible that it's something that has not happened, but that it will happen. You may say, well, why is it written in past tense? Well, the Bible speaks in the book of Romans that God took things that, God is able to take things that are not and uh, and write or prophesy as if they were. In other words, to God, who is the giver of time, that uh, God seems to take very little thought to the vernacular, uh, especially as it re- to his vernacular, especially as it relates to the past, the present, the future. In other words, uh, Time is time. And you see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, when we get into the Scripture, it doesn't make any difference to God whether it has happened or will happen. If God said it, it is a fact. See, that's, that's, what, the, the, that's what the Scripture is trying to establish. And when you read this over and over and over, uh, that is the Bible over and over and over, you come to the conclusion... That it doesn't make any difference if it's already happened, if it's in the process of happening, or if it's future, futuristic. If God said it, that's just the way it's going to be. Now, when we when we take a look at New Testament happenings, uh, there's a lot of uh, of statements. There are a lot of statements in the New Testament, especially about Jesus, that uh, the the apostles try to to uh, validate uh, just by uh, proclaiming to the to the Jews and and not only the Jews but all the listeners that that uh, there were many witnesses around. In other words, 
there were some happenings that people just simply said, well, I don't believe this. I don't believe that really happened. Now, we know, historically, we know that Jesus Christ lived on the planet Earth. We know there was a Jesus. I mean, separate and apart from the Bible. It's recorded in Jewish history that there was a prophet by the name of Jesus Christ that walked on the face of the earth. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we'll see how the apostles treated this. Uh, This is just uh, uh, such a remarkable uh, way in, in, in which... These men viewed uh, this and, and how they tried to convey their message uh, uh, of the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, all, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. Now notice what he's saying to, the, to, the, to these people. That uh, he says, I preach the gospel unto you. You receive the gospel and we stand by the gospel. Now, he explains the gospel. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, Paul received the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, to see, the thing about it is, it was... It was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus Christ was to to die, that he was to be buried, and that he was to be resurrected. That's what he's saying. Now Paul says, I received that. I actually received the gospel. See, the death, the burial, and the resurrection is not something you just hear, but it is also something you hear and you receive. Now, I read to you Acts 2.38 because this is where the message was preached as to how you can receive the gospel. In other words, Christ died so that you can repent of your sins. Christ was buried so that you can be buried with him in baptism. Christ arose to newness of life so that you can arise to newness of life through the power or the promise of the Holy Ghost. Now, this was prophesied about in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. According to the Scriptures. Now, look what he says in verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all... He was seen of me also as one born out of due season. Basically what he's saying is, hey, there's over 500 people that you can contact that are living proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Most, most of the 500, he said, they're still alive, walking right here on the planet earth that, that can tell you I saw him with my own eyes. Now, you know, in, in Acts, uh, the first chapter, Judas Iscariot, as you know, uh, betrayed the Lord and hung himself. And so there were only 11 apostles then. And so they sought to choose a new apostle. And what they wanted to do was 
to carefully seek the mind of God and the criteria for choosing a new apostle was that <coughs> whoever's chosen to take the place of Judah, Judas must have been an eyewitness of Jesus Christ from his baptism of John in Jordan until his resurrection and then until his ascension. And the reason why is because, uh, you know, when you start preaching Christ, there are going to be some people who come along and say, I don't even believe they're you know, that Jesus. Oh, they said that he went about healing, but I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Oh, yeah, they say that he was buried and that he arose again. I don't believe that. So, so we want a man that, said, that can truthfully say, I know that Jesus Christ was. I know that he is. And the reason why is because I was with him from his baptism of John and Jordan until he was taken out of this world. I saw him go up into the heavens. And of course, that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He was seen of above 500 brethren after his crucifixion. Now it was recorded in Jewish history concerning the crucifixion. They took <coughs> records and this was recorded. But what he's saying is, just because it was recorded in history that he died does not mean that the historical account will go down as fact that Jesus Christ was buried and that's it. Because we have 500 witnesses that say that Jesus Christ is alive. We saw him go up into the heavens. If you will turn to Acts, the first chapter. We just take a, take a look at scripture here. Acts, the th- first chapter. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let's go to Acts the 13th chapter. I said the first chapter. I have a verse. Acts the 13th chapter. This is Paul giving his testimony in the synagogue. And this is what he says in, in verse 28. And though they found no cause for death in him, yet despised, yet desired, they pilot that he sh- should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen of many. Uh, he was he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. In other words, basically. What they were saying, we were with him, we handled him, we saw him. Because there's always that segment of society that, you know, they're going to doubt. They're going to say, oh, I don't know about this. I... Now you got to keep in mind now that, that when this was occurring, that they did not have the New Testament. The New Testament was written later. It was recorded as fact later on. But at the time in which these apostles were preaching, they had no New Testament. All they had were the Old Testament scriptures. That was it. And and so what they tried their best to do was to tell people that Jesus Christ really did come out of that grave. That he really did. And you will find that this is what 
Peter is doing on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, what he is actually doing, he's talking about the works of Jesus Christ, and this is living proof that he is Lord in Christ. And, and, and on the day of Pentecost, he is telling them that Jesus Christ was indeed the King of the Jews. He was more than a man. He was more than a prophet. While he was a prophet, while he was a man, he was more than a man. And he tells them that you actually crucified the Lord of glory. Now you may have ignorantly done this, in other words, not knowing who he was. Later on, the scripture declares, had they have known that he was the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified him. But they did not have that knowledge simply because they did not take the time to look into it. And so they crucified him. And then, of course, <coughs> down through the message we go as he begins to talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul would not be left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. In other words, he goes back to Old Testament prophecy. And he says, it's prophesied in the Old Testament what was going to take place. The reason why is because the Jews accepted the Old Testament as fact. But, but they understood that the Messiah had not yet been born. And even though it was written in past tense, the promise of the Messiah, they were having problems with the promise part. They had no problem with that which was, was recorded in history. And what, what, uh, what uh, Peter is saying is that, hey, it was prophesied in Scripture. You believe Old Testament Scripture. You see the record back there. Now there's part of it you accept as fact, but you don't accept all of it as fact. And you know the problem with religion today, especially in some of the mainstream churches, is that they believe part of the Scripture, but they don't believe all the Scripture. And the truth of the matter is that they are so intertwined and the tenses are so confused that, that the problem is that you either believe it all or you don't believe any, any of it all. In other words, you can't just dissect it and pull it out. A pastor of, of a church close to... To, to downtown came out and saw all of our pictures on the bulletin board of all the people who had been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. He was upset because we had a picture of one of his members on our board. He didn't like that. And, and he told me, he said, uh, you know, I don't like that. And, and so we got into a discussion and, and he told me, he said, I don't believe all the Bible. And I don't tell our people that they can believe all the Bible. I tell them that it's not necessary. I said, well, let me ask you this. What part do you believe and what part do you not believe? He said, well, I, I have problems with that story about Noah and the ark. I have problems with the crossing of the Red Sea. And so he began to tell me what he had problems with. Well, I said, but, but there are some events that are recorded in the Scripture that are as equally phenomenal and you don't have any problem with. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? He said, well, sure I believe that. The, the whole basis of Christianity is, is predicated upon Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. I said, yeah, but when it comes to, to miracles, is there a greater miracle recorded in history 
than a lifeless body that pulsation has left and, and corruption has set in and uh, all the brain tissues and, and cells are dead and, and, uh, and blood has already dried and coagulated. Is there a greater miracle than, than God breathing upon a lifeless body? If God can breathe upon a lifeless body to bring back life to Jesus Christ, He certainly, my friend, can speak to a, uh, an elephant somewhere and direct it to, to an ark. Don't tell me you can. If He calls the birds to fly, some of them over 4,000 miles in their migratory uh, uh, paths, certainly if He can do that, He can send a bird to the ark. I mean, if he can speak to a lifeless body and that body responds, certainly he can speak to one that's already pulsating and that one responds. He said, well, it's kind of optional here. We just believe kind of what we want to believe. But I said, you have destroyed the basis of Christianity. And the truth of the matter is, there are going to be many more pictures on our board from your church if you don't start teaching that the Bible is real and that it's factual and that all the promises of God are yea and they are amen. Because you see, they pick and choose through the Scripture what they want to believe. And after a while, every time you stand behind the pulpit and you preach, you've got tons of people listening to you that say, I don't believe that story. I just simply don't believe it. And that's exactly what happens. But you see, people want proof. They really do want proof. Now, let me just say this about proof. This is where theory comes in. I've done quite a few studies in math, as many of you have. Perhaps all of you have uh, uh, had... uh, Math, uh, you know, beyond just general math that you have in school. But you get into uh, geometry, plane geometry, trigonometry, uh, whatever. You know, you read the theories in the the book. And and what you have to do is you take the theories and you work out problems to prove that these problems are factual. Or that the theory is actually more than the theory that is factual. So, <clears throat> you, you work with these all the time. And, and I like to consider sometimes promises that way. Uh, to a lot of people, they're just theories. Uh, but what, we, what you have to do, you, 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 you work uh, with, with something in mind. And that is, you, you work with this mindset that... That if the facts are recorded correctly, then what is generally considered a theory will work. Now, I hope you understand what I'm saying. All of you understand what I'm saying? Basically, I never received the Holy Ghost until until I received it. <laughs> now, that's pretty profound, isn't it? <clears throat> and yet, on the other hand, I was... I was required by God to believe that if it's recorded in the Scripture, that even though it has never happened to me, that it is just as valid as if it had. See? (coughs) 
And, and, and that's something that, that we need to understand. Because, see, we have New Testament Scripture now. The, the apostles didn't have it. So they went around all the time trying to prove that Jesus Christ did come from the grave. <coughs> that he did walk with them. But now we have New Testament Scripture. So we have what we consider a greater witness. Why do we have a greater witness than the apostles? Because we have the Scripture, which is recorded. And then, in the Scripture, we have all of these promises that God has given. Now, one day, somebody preached to me. They preached to me, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Not just a few of you. See, in some churches, only a few people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues because... That from behind the pulpit, the Word of God is altered, the promise is altered, and people say, well, it's only for a few. Have you ever heard that? Sure. It's only for a few. But my script, my Bible says, then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, notice what he says. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, let's just say that you want to become an electrician. We have an electrician among us. Uh, Brother Jim Rivis is an electrician. Not only is he an electrician. He is a first-class electrician. All right. Now, let's say that <clears throat> Jim studies this. You know, he studies and studies and studies. I'm sure that he didn't get as good as he is just by observing. Part of it came through study. You know, you study the theory of electricity. You go through all this. After a while, <clears throat> for the very first time in his life, sometime, you know, he had to have a first time in which he actually connected a switch to operate the on and off of a light. Now, he read the theory in the book, now he puts a switch in, and all of a sudden he's going he's to turn this on. He's going to prove whether this book is right or not. Now, if he turns it on and nothing happens, what's he going to do? He's going to say, either the book is wrong or I've hooked this thing up wrong. One or the other. And, and what he's going to do to start with, he's going to search to find out if he has made a mistake. And so he takes and he checks it and all of a sudden he's, oh yes, now I have the wrong wire hooked up here. Or I have no power going to this. No power lead going to this. He hooks it up right. He turns it on. Oh! We have lights. The book is right. <clears throat> this is the way that people approach Scripture quite often. You know, this is the reason why when I tell people, if you're praying for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you haven't received the Holy Ghost, the first thing you look for is human error. In other words, where did I go wrong? What am I not doing that's right? 
And I say, now you can check the book if you want to, but the truth of the matter is, there have been many people who have been checking the pages of this book many, many years before you were ever born in this world. This book has never been proven to be wrong. Somebody say, how do you know people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost today? The reason why is because people read it in the book, they come and give their life to, to the Lord, and all of a sudden they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now there was a time which I, I didn't really know if I, I wanted to believe something else. I didn't want to be Pentecost. My mother was, and I thought she was a precious lady, but I thought that's for mother. I want something a little more sophisticated. I want something that, you know, that, that has a little bit better name. I want something that, that you know, that has a, there's more prominence involved in this. People will revere you if you're a, a preacher of certain denomination, a man of the cloth, so to speak. I was in a church one time. My wife and I uh, had already been married. She was a member of another denomination. We were in the church, and the preacher preached a message. And he preached against divine healing. He said, God has given us doctors. He said, you know... In the Bible, they didn't have doctors, so they had to depend on the Lord. But he said, I'm here to tell you. He said, right down the street, and it was right on the same street, on down about ten blocks, was Henderson Memorial Hospital, where all my children were born. And he said, there's doctors in there. God has given us this knowledge. So all the miracles and such that you find in the Scripture are not necessary today simply because... That we have approached this age of knowledge. And what you can do for yourself, you should always do. And what you can't do, I guess you have to depend on the Lord. But he said, we got doctors and such. He preached this message. Now, I had been in for counseling with him. And he knew that I was struggling with this. And I think he was trying to prove to me something. Well, let me tell you what happened. When he finished his message, he had everybody stand. In walks an elderly gentleman who was weeping. And he raised his hand. He said, Brother Gwen, in this church they call, call the members, brothers and sisters like we do. He said, Brother Gwen, could I come to the front? He said, I am burdened at heart. And when he got behind the pulpit, he said, I want to make an announcement. Or maybe I should say a prayer request. He said, I just came from Henderson Memorial Hospital. Now, he didn't know what Brother Gwen had preached on. And he says, one of the charter members of the he said, Pastor, would you stand behind the pulpit and lead us all in prayer that God would perform this miracle? I'm telling you, if there was ever a circumstance designed of God for me to hear, it was this one. Because, you know, I had a stomach ulcer. And, I, and this thing was killing me. And I'd lost a lot of weight. I couldn't eat anything. And so the pastor... <laughs> Struggle through this prayer for this dying saint. But it was from that that I started a real search for Scripture. You see, when the Lord, on April 15, 1961, when the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I was dying with this stomach disorder, I read in the Scripture that Jesus can make you whole. And whenever I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I knew that God had not only healed me, but that he had, I mean, filled me with the Holy Ghost, but he had healed my body. I knew that. 
And I'm here to tell you, I'm probably one of the few people that you know of could eat mustard on a banana split. And it wouldn't bother me. I got a stomach like iron. <clears throat> Why? I read in the Bible and I believed it. I was hopeless. I said, Lord, you, I, I'm, I, this is the promise of God. It is. 2 Corinthians 1.20. We have to wrap this up. 2 Corinthians 1.20. I hope if there's anybody here without the baptism of the Holy Ghost that today you'll believe that God can give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yea and in Him amen unto the glory of God by us. Now you know what the word amen means? Amen. And some denominations call it Amen. The correct pronunciation, quite frankly, according to the dictionary, is determined by, guess what? What denomination you're in. <laughs> in song, it's usually called Amen. But Amen. You know what the word Amen means? So be it. It means truly. It means verily. And what the scripture is saying. That all the promises. In, uh, all the promises of God. Are in him. Yes. It is true. It is real. It's valid. In other words. The scripture spends considerable time. Telling you it doesn't make any difference. If it's a historical fact. Or something that's never occurred. If God said it, that's the way it will be. See, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. See, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. One lady brought her friend to Calvary Gospel Church. And she brought her friend to Calvary Gospel Church because her friend was just desperate. She had a need. Her family had a need. And she brought her friend to Calvary Gospel Church because she had been here. And she knew that we taught that everyone that comes inside of these doors can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I mean, just like they did in Acts, the second chapter. And she brought her friend here. And she heard me preach. And she brought her friend down the altar. And would you believe that we prayed with her? We took her friend to the, to the dressing room. And she was dressed in a robe. We put her down in Jesus' name. And she came up out of the water speaking with tongues. As the Spirit gives the utterance. <clears throat> and you know what she said? I knew if I brought her here that she'd receive the Holy Ghost. And someone asked her why. She said, because I got this figured out. She said, Pastor Grant believes everybody can get it. And because he preaches, everybody can get it. And he believes everybody can get it. Guess what? Everybody here gets it. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Yes, I believe you can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, I believe you can be healed. Yes, I believe the promises of God are yea and amen. Yes, I believe that God is just as alive today as He ever has been. Yes, I believe that God speaks just as vividly today as He ever has. Yes, 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 yes. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Oh, hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet this time? Facts and promises. It really doesn't make any difference whether it's a recorded fact or a promise that has not yet occurred. One is just as real. One is just as valid as the next. And if you have a need today, I'm here to tell you, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I want to read it again. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you. To you, my friend, if you never received it. You can receive it. <coughs> I don't know if God would give me the Holy Ghost. Oh, you don't know my God. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God is speaking to you today. Guess what? The Holy Ghost is for you. We want our praise singers to sing. We're opening up this altar, inviting you to come. If you need something from God, why don't you just step out? Come on down today. Come on as they sing. Reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. You will find He's not too busy for you. No, he isn't. To hear That's it. Come on right now. He is oh, yes. By this moment, your need to supply. Several people have come already. Come on. Come on right now. Let's come on down and give our heart to God. That's it. Come on. Reach out and touch the Lord as 